0: Welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. I'm Jackson Byrd. How St. Patrick's Day as we know it now is kind of more of an Irish-American holiday than a purely Irish one. More of the Dead Sea Scrolls have been uncovered in Israel for the first time in 60 years. And the family who decided to really lean into the time is just a social construct idea. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. And even though St. Patrick's Day has been observed in Ireland as a feast day marking the death of the nation's patron saint since about the 9th century, its current form as a day of often raucous celebration is really more of an American invention in some ways. Much like Halloween, Irish immigrants brought certain traditions over when they immigrated to America, dialed them up a bit as a matter of pride and likely homesickness, and over the years, as more and more non-Irish people also joined in, these transformed and supersized traditions took on a life of their own, one quite different from their original form in the old country. So even though we, especially here in America, associate St. Patrick's Day with a night of revelry and perhaps excessive drinking, up until 1973, bars in Ireland were actually closed on St. Patrick's Day. That's because it was a religious holiday. Once the day was added to the Catholic Church's liturgical calendar in the early 1600s, it was a holy day, meaning people had to go to Mass in the mornings. And even though celebrations were typical in the afternoons, it still didn't include drinking. They were more muted, rejoiceful type of celebrations. Though in the 20th century, pre-1973, there was allegedly a way to get around the no-drinking thing. Quoting Irish Central, before the drinking ban was repealed, there was only one place in Ireland where one could buy a drink on March 17th the Royal Dublin Dog Show. The dog show would see a wide attendance, with not just dog lovers attending, but also writers and politicians and anybody else who wanted to do more than eat chocolate and sweets on this one cheat day during Lent. End quote. Then that's actually one quirk of St. Patrick's Day in Ireland that's long been held. Because it always falls during Lent, it is sometimes treated as a cheat day from whatever you sacrificed for Lent. Although some priests and bishops will encourage practitioners to add an extra day to Lent or do an extra act of charity to make up for it, quoting RTE, St. Patrick's Day was considered a welcome break from fasting for Catholics to enjoy meat, treats, and alcohol. The alcohol consumed on St. Patrick's Day was known as pota farik, or St. Patrick's pot. The tradition known as drowning the shamrock involves making a toast to St. Patrick and then tossing a shamrock over the shoulder for good luck, most convenient considering that adults wore bunches of shamrock on their lapels, end quote. In the most sanctioned of practices, this typically means that if St. Patrick's Day falls on a Friday, Lenten restrictions around not eating meat on Fridays are dispensed so people can celebrate with traditional meat dishes like corned beef. Or, if St. Patrick's Day happens to fall during Holy Week, as it did in 2008, the church celebration of the saint is moved up, even if the secular tradition continues on the 17th. Now even though it was a more somber religious observance for many centuries, in the 1700s, some Irish people did start using the day as an opportunity to display their pride in their culture. This is roughly when the tradition of wearing shamrocks on their lapels began. This was around the time the penal laws were enacted, which discriminated against Irish Catholics and tried to force them to accept the Church of Ireland. So celebrating the March 17th Holy Day and wearing the now-established markers of St. Patrick, the shamrock, was as much an act of resistance as it was pride. And one quick side note, there's no written record of the shamrock being associated with St. Patrick or used by him as a tool to teach the Holy Trinity to the Druids until about the 1600s. It was likely one of those myths that was kind of established after the fact. But anyways, back to the 1700s. While Irish Catholics in Ireland were fighting for religious liberties and freedom from the British, the American colonies were also trying to fight off the British. And there was a certain kinship there. Not to mention, Americans figured that the English might be distracted by the conflicts in Ireland and lay off their efforts in America. There were also quite a number of Irish immigrants who served in the American Revolutionary War. All of this, plus an extremely long and cold winter in 1779, led General George Washington to declare March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, a holiday, a day to rest, to stop working, and to celebrate. This wasn't the first St. Patrick's Day celebration in America. There were likely a ton that went undocumented, but notably 17 years prior, in 1762, Irish soldiers serving in the British Army marched through Manhattan to get to a local tavern, which some note as the first recorded St. Patrick's Day parade, although others note that there were a smattering of parades going back as far as 1601 in St. Augustine, Florida, then a Spanish colony. What's for certain is that the first St. Patrick's Day parade in Ireland didn't happen until 1931. But before then, as more and more Irish people immigrated to the U.S., especially setting down roots in New York City and Boston, St. Patrick's Day celebrations grew and grew over the years, with the first official parade, now the world's oldest, occurring in New York City in 1848. Quoting Irish Central, the promotion of Paddy's Day in Ireland truly began in 1995 when the Irish government realized the potential tourism benefits of celebrating the day properly. They realized that St. Patrick's Day represented a golden opportunity for the country to sell its culture and sites to the rest of the world. This resulted in the creation of the St. Patrick's Day Festival, the multi-day celebration that we now have in Dublin in which approximately 1 million people take part annually. End quote. There is, of course, pushback among the Irish to return to its more religious roots, or at least to try to cut down on Irish stereotyping around the holiday, and certainly to discourage excessive drinking. And while, yes, some Americans claiming their 150th Irish heritage for one day of the year can seem a little eye-roll-worthy— St. Patrick's Day as a modern, cultural, non-religious tradition really is one fostered by Irish-Americans, more so than the actual Irish in some ways. That's part of why the Irish Prime Minister, or Tisha, always travels to America during St. Patrick's Day week to visit with the U.S. President and gift him a crystal bowl of shamrocks. This year, of course, the ceremony is going virtual. But it's a ceremony meant to illustrate the special relationship the two nations have. And as a government report from Ireland following the 2009 ceremony said, quote, Over the years, these occasions have given Ireland generous access to the president, access that few other countries our size enjoy, end quote. And I think that's kind of an interesting point about the holiday overall. Yes, it's imperfect, and for many, just an excuse to drink too much and repeat tired Irish stereotypes. But it's also pretty awesome that a nation so small has a whole holiday celebrating its culture and traditions. A holiday largely celebrated beyond its borders. You know, it's not like other countries have picked up on America's July 4th or something. So, good for Ireland, I guess. For the first time in 60 years, archaeologists have unearthed fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls from the Judean Desert in Israel and the occupied West Bank. The dozens of parchment fragments, all quite small in size, some just a few millimeters across, contain biblical texts dating back 2,000 years. Part of a four-year national project, the excavation also uncovered arrowheads, spearheads, woven cloth, a harp, and coins, as well as the partially mummified skeleton of a 6,000-year-old child and a 10,500-year-old woven basket that's believed to be the oldest intact basket yet ever found. Quoting the New York Times, The Dead Sea Scrolls, mostly discovered during the last century, contain the earliest known copies of parts of almost every book of the Hebrew Bible other than the Book of Esther, written on parchment and papyrus. Dating from about the 3rd century BC to the 1st century AD, the biblical and apocryphal texts are widely considered to be among the most significant archaeological discoveries of the 20th century, and remain the subject of heated academic debate around the world. The arid conditions of the Judean desert provided a unique environment for the natural preservation of artifacts and organic materials that would ordinarily not have withstood the test of time. Quote. These particular artifacts were found in the Cave of Horror, so-called because 40 human skeletons were found there back in the 60s. Quoting NBC News, among the recovered texts, which are all in Greek, is naam 1, 5-6, which says, The mountains quake because of him, and the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his wrath? Who can resist his fury? His anger pours out like a fire, and the rocks are shattered because of him." The Antiquities Authority said these words differ slightly from other Bible versions, shedding a rare light on how biblical text changed over time from its earliest form, end quote. And from the Associated Press, quote, The fragments are believed to have been part of a scroll stashed away in the cave during the Bar Kokhba revolts an armed Jewish uprising against Rome during the reign of Emperor Hadrian between 132 and 136. When we think about the biblical text, we think about something very static. It wasn't static. There are slight differences, and some of those differences are important, said Joe Uziel, head of the Antiquities Authority's Dead Sea Scrolls unit. Every little piece of information that we can add, we can understand a little bit better how the biblical text came into its traditional Hebrew form. End quote. And quoting once more from the New York Times, the new fragments contain verses from Zechariah 8, 16, 17, including part of the name of God written in ancient Hebrew. Experts managed to reconstruct 11 lines of text from Zechariah, including the verses, "'These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to one another, render true and perfect justice in your gates, and do not contrive evil against one another, and do not love perjury, because all those are things that I hate,' declares the Lord." Oren Abelman, a member of the Antiquities Authority team who conserved and studied the new fragments, described the artifacts as another small piece of the puzzle of the past. Speaking in the laboratories of the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, where the fragments were displayed for reporters on Tuesday morning, he said the concept of equal justice for all was laid out in these verses that are read by people and are meaningful to people to this very day. End quote. A lot of us have joked over the past year about time not existing anymore, referring to the many different tricks it has seemed like time has played on us, and days seem to both rush by and drag on forever. It felt like it was still April in mid-November, and yet also that we weren't positive Halloween had happened yet. Well, one family in Connecticut decided to stop playing by Father Time's rules altogether. Or at least stop playing by the government-sanctioned Time rules, anyways. When Daylight Savings ended in the U.S. back in November, Tali and Scott Richards just said, No thanks. Even though Connecticut is not one of the seven U.S. states and territories that forego Daylight Saving Time, the Richards decided to opt out just for their household. It's an interesting concept, and I suppose the pandemic kind of makes it more doable than usual for a household like theirs where parents now work from home and the kids are homeschooled, but they're still having to convert time zones when they schedule calls or appointments, so it's kind of just like living in this state of suspended disbelief. That said, it's a pretty tempting concept. I mean, I really can't stand how dark it gets so early during the wintertime, and the Richards reported their winter feeling brighter and shorter than normal this year. Their experiment, which they say they'll repeat again this year, is one a lot of people are tempted by. In fact, nearly every year there's a bill proposed in the U.S. Senate to make daylight saving time permanent. Such a bill was just proposed by a bipartisan group. You might remember that in 2018, Florida's legislature passed a bill with overwhelming support to make daylight saving time year-round, and 15 other states have passed similar bills or resolutions, but it will require a federal act, as is being proposed, for any of those to take effect. I tend to be in camp daylight saving time all year round, mostly because I grew up a lot closer to the equator than I have lived as an adult, and I am still shocked and appalled every winter here in New York when the sun sets before 5pm. I do not like it. But, quoting The Atlantic, most health experts support ending daylight saving time, not making it permanent. Studies show that people get better sleep during standard time because the bright morning light and the reduced evening light make falling asleep easier. In the winter, a shift to daylight saving time would mean the sun wouldn't rise until after 8am in many places, which could make it difficult for people who need to get to early morning jobs and classes. Some studies show that the sleep loss induced by daylight saving time is associated with an increase in heart attacks and strokes. When you get sleep deprivation, you start getting increased adrenaline and other hormones and inflammation that can contribute to stroke and heart attack, says Beth Ann Malo, a neurology professor at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville. Still, experts say the bigger problem for health is the changing of the clock, not the precise hour America ends up on, end quote. And that's really it. Changing the clocks is the biggest concern. And even though no daylight saving time might technically be the better move than permanent daylight saving time, it's the less popular option. Scott Yates, an entrepreneur and advocate for locking the clock, whichever way that lock goes, remarked on the Richards family's experiment saying, quote, Time itself is just the thing that we've come up with as a society so that we don't have to say, what time does your flight leave? Ah, you know, when the sun is two hands above the horizon, end quote. And after this past year, I think even more people are inclined to agree with him than before. We've all had a weird relationship with time during the pandemic, so maybe that ambivalence will turn into less resistance to the idea of locking the clock. Maybe the time is finally ripe for a federal act to do away with daylight saving time once and for all, or lock it in as permanent. And hey, if it doesn't, you can take a leaf out of the Richards book and just pretend it has. Also, a quick note, if you are scheduling a call with someone who lives in a different country than you or trying to watch a live game in another country or something, you should be aware that every country that does change the clocks does so at different times. While it just started here in the US and in Canada, most other nations are starting Daylight Saving Time the last Sunday in March, or the first Sunday in April if you're Mexico and like to mix it up. Link in the show notes with all the nations listed for your reference. That is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.